Welcome to the Team Packed Podcast with your hosts, Jessica McIntyre and Quinton Cools. We hope to inspire you to think critically and biblically about current issues facing our culture, challenge you to make a difference in your community, and ultimately change the world. Today's episode is talking politics with family and friends. Most of us aren't strangers to the discomfort of a social gathering when politics is brought up. Opposing perspectives can often lead to division between even the best of friends. Today, we will address creating space for political disagreements, valuing relationships over being right, and give you practical steps for navigating political conversations. Our guest today is Julia Nelson. Julia has a background in intercultural communication and public policy work. Julia and her husband, Dean, have worked for several decades in leadership development, equipping students in churches and nonprofits. She has taught her three children at home from kindergarten through high school. It's great to have you on the program today. Thank you so much for joining us, Julia. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Can you give us a little bit more background about what it is that you do, especially regarding the intercultural communication and and the various communities that you serve? Can you provide a little bit more clarity on what it is that you do there? Yeah. Um, Well, normally, I don't think that necessarily one's, you know, personal biography is always relevant, but um, I am actually biracial, uh, Korean and white, and my husband is black. So that's sort of where the intercultural communication piece, you know, you could say it originated there. Um, You know, so my children are triracial, and we had to prepare them growing up to navigate three very different worlds. And, um, you know, but in terms of professionally, I think, you know, I've been sort of at my husband's side for the last 25 years doing campus ministry, doing local church training. We've done stuff in the political realm. We've done stuff more in the civic engagement and community activism world. And, you know, then of course, all three of my kids attended Teen Pact and really benefited from that. And I've been privileged to uh, be involved there too. Yeah, you serve currently on the board of directors, which is awesome. But what is it about Team Pack's mission that has kept you involved? I know you've had your children involved for a while now, um, and they're starting to age out of the program, but but you've stayed um, and continued to be involved, and you are involved in so many other organizations and ministry. What is it about the vision and mission of Team Pack that's kind of kept you here and championing that mission? Yeah. So I think all three of my kids are very different. I think any parent of more than one child would say that, but, um, but they all benefited from Team Pact in really different ways. Um, but they all got opportunities to develop their leadership skills, to connect with different kinds of people, to, uh, you know, just to sort of test their wings in this really safe environment to try different stuff. And so I really appreciated that as a mother. I think what I appreciate uh, as a board member and as a citizen is how, you know, I think it is so important for our country to have have an engaged and responsible citizenry. And uh, Team Pack worked so hard to make that happen, to do that from the grassroots, from the bottom up. And I, I appreciate uh, what Team Pack did in my own kids' lives, but I just, I want to see that work continue and spread. So that's why I'm, I'm proud and grateful to serve. Yeah, that's awesome. And Team Pack trains you to think critically about the political process. And that really leads to our discussion today about talking politics with friends and family. Um, I as we were thinking about this uh, podcast, one of the personal stories that I, I thought of was in 2016, uh, a very contentious election result. Uh, I remember a friend telling me that uh, he had siblings that were not going to show up at family dinner for Thanksgiving 
because the parents had voted for a certain candidate and the siblings had not. And you could see this this fissure developing within their own family because of a political decision, a vote that was cast, a position that somebody held. And it seems to me that whether it's personal stories that we have in our own family uh, or working with, you know, talking to other friends or perhaps even just looking at the comment section on a social media page. It seems like politics has only gotten more and more contentious. And we want to talk about how we can't really we can't really pull back or just ignore politics um, on the one hand, but we also we also don't want to get super angry and divisive on the other side, but we're trying to find out, you know, how do we do that well? So like Quinn mentioned, you know, there's just a lot in the political realm right now. But, you know, on one hand, we can't be completely ignorant. But on the other hand, we don't want to be divisive. I know that, especially in today's modern age, the internet is a big thing, right? And that's where a lot of this political discussion is happening. I know I've seen that, you know, even in my own circles. So yeah, there's, same. there's this idea of, you know, political flaming, <laughs> as it's been deemed, where people have these really intense perspectives and viewpoints and, you know, whether they're good, bad, somewhere in between, like, it's just extremely, extremely intense. So what is the balance there? Can you help us think through what it looks like to be engaged and to have opinions and to put them out there, but not go so far to the other end of the spectrum where where it's unhealthy? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so um, for me personally, I, I actually began the sort of the journey with the family um, a long time ago. So I was raised in a in a non-Christian left of center home. And so I came to Christ at about 16 and that caused sort of a little thing to, you know, that was a source of tension in my family. A lot of it because I was immature, not because of me. I, at the time, I think I thought I was persecuted for righteousness sake, but I think it was more, I was being a bit of a jerk, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but then the same thing, you know, after I came to Christ, then I went on a, a sort of journey with my political point of view. Um, and, I, you know, again, I wouldn't characterize my mother um, in particular as like, you know, she's not like a far left progressive, but she's definitely left of center. And I am definitely much more right of center now. So this that also was a source of tension back um, in the 90s for my family and for me. Sure. And so what I learned back then um, was that, number one, with people that are important to you, with people that you love, no candidate, no election, no at any level, whether it's your, you know, dog catcher in your county or all the way up to the president, yes, worth the relationship. You know, I mean, that's I think mm -hmm. that's starting that people are always going to be more important. The beautiful thing about our system of government is that no candidate, no, no victory and no defeat is permanent, right? Because we always have another chance in the election cycle, you know, depending on what our point of view is to either reinforce right. or sure. to correct or whatever. So, I mean, that's, I think, part of the genius of the way that our, our system of government was designed is that politics isn't supposed, we're supposed to be engaged with it, like you said, but it isn't supposed to occupy the totality of our attention. And so when we keep it in its proper place and treat people as we should as more important than, you know, these little differences of opinion, I think it's a really good starting place to keep it in balance. Mm -hmm. And to kind of hone in on that point a little bit more, why do you think it is even in the first place that people do bring it to that extreme. Um, wh why do you think that is? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's a couple of things going on right now, um, you know, just sort of in this moment that we're in that, you know, it's sort of characterized a lot, you know, or it's um, informed by the internet, but that's not, you know, certainly I wouldn't say this is the most divided time we've ever been in because we did fight a civil war, you know, but um, but I think one of the reasons we're, we're so intense right now is that um, there are fewer depoliticized spaces. Like when I was growing up, um, it was not like where you shop for your groceries or whether or not you got your coffee here or there was not, a, or where, which chicken sandwich you liked was not a signal of which political party you belong to. There were just a lot more sort of uh, cultural spaces where we didn't talk about politics. So one of the things I enjoyed when my kids did Neighborhood Swim was even though I'm very strongly, you know, I have strong political opinions, I didn't talk at Neighborhood Swim practices about politics with my neighbors. So do you do you feel like that has changed significantly over time like where as you were, you know, growing up or even as a young parent that it seemed to be that yeah, certain spaces, certain businesses you shopped at or the local swim meet that was kind of a you know you're not going to talk politics in that arena. Um ha- do you feel like that's shifted significantly? I think there are fewer of those spaces. I, I think that okay. there are fewer things that are depoliticized. Like, you know, I mean, going to Whole Foods and Trader Joe's versus like Costco or something like that could be, or, you know, Sam's Club could be a, seen as a signaling mechanism or Chick-fil-A versus Popeye's or something like that. Not that, yeah. I don't, I'm yeah. not saying everyone takes it to that extreme. So I think that that's one thing. I think the other thing, and this is, I think in American culture, we vacillated back and forth with this, but I think when you have the idea that people who disagree with you politically are bad people versus Mm. just that you're starting from a different set of assumptions. Certainly there's bad people who are conservatives and there's bad people who are liberals. But if the assumption is, well, if someone sees these issues my way, then they're a good person. And if they don't, they're a bad person. That makes it into this sort of existential good versus evil battle in every single discussion about like the marginal tax rate or something like that. That's really made right, it right. Or where there's room for difference of opinion. So I think that that psychologically gets us into this warrior mode where we're like, well, we have to defend our side and fight against the other side. And that's that intensifies things as well. And then the last thing I'll say is that I think um, as much as I have used this language in the past, and I, I maybe I used it last week, but um, the idea that this is the most important election of our lifetime, or it's the most yeah. important issue of the country, it makes pos- There's kind of an alarmism that both sides kind of buy into. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Think that that triggers our, you know, just um, it triggers us to it gives us a permission structure to to say things that you know, kind hmm. or unchrist like because we think we're in this emergency situation. But again, the beautiful thing about our country is, you know, no victory and no defeat is permanent. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's not permanent. Yeah, that's really good. So one of the things that we are going to discuss with several people on this Teen Pack podcast is how, um, you know, politics can can be confusing or it can be really negative. And so we're trying to kind of demystify some of that and help people to get engaged. And and one of you know one of the extremes, like Jessica was identifying, is kind of this political flaming where you're you're so divisive and you're so strong with your language and you're hurtful toward friends and family and and people on the other side of the political aisle and so forth. Um, the other side of that spectrum, I think, is uh, ignorance or apathy, like choosing to disengage. 
Um, you know, and we, we should know what is going on, though. We should we should know that, you know, all of these social protests are going on. We should know that there's a stimulus bill that's being discussed in Congress there. We should know about what our state is doing in relation to COVID-19 response. You know, all of those things are really important. We shouldn't wait 15 years to read that in a history textbook with our kids. Right. And so there's there is a middle ground that we ought to be pursuing. We shouldn't be hiding under a rock and being ignorant and apathetic. Uh, but at the same time, we also shouldn't put all this weight in uh, in kind of this is the end if we don't get our, what we want. And so we want to kind of focus that in on kind of society as, as we think about how we process civil disagreement. To me, it seems that civil disagreement is a fundamental part of, of American society. Like without being able to disagree and agree to disagree, um, we we end up in a really bad place. So, you know, we should we should be able to still show up at dinner even if our parents voted for the other candidate. Um, you know, we shouldn't have to um, have uh, violent riots after this coming twenty twenty election um, and so forth. But it seems that it seems that a lot of people don't feel like there's that space, um, and I'm wondering. You know, for you, when you think about that space for a society, what does that look like for uh, kind of American ideals and the civil discourse that we have? How can we help, I don't know, maintain some level of, uh, I don't know, respect for one another and participation? And what what does that look like for, for you guys, even in, in your context, as you've worked with different nonprofits and churches and do these sorts of discussions come come to the forefront in terms of political views and and how uh, how strongly they're communicated and so forth? Absolutely. I think if you talk to any black conservative, they're going to have a ton of stories about Thanksgiving and, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> My kids had a really interesting experience growing up where their white relatives were the ones that were more left of center and really excited about Obama and their black relatives were like, oh, gotcha. I don't know, I don't think this is such a good idea. So, um, so yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the word that you said, respect, I think that's really key. I think approaching conversations with people that we might disagree with with a sense of respect and curiosity um, really sets hmm. the right tone. Um, if we're curious, if, if our first uh, desire is to learn and our second desire is to persuade, I think that that usually gets us to the right place in terms of any one interaction. I think uh, intellectually wanting to engage your opponent's best arguments instead of their worst. It's a lot of fun to engage the worst arguments on the other side. I've done it a million times myself. You can always find, um, I think uh, David French calls it nut picking. You can always find the crazy <laughs> people on the other side and uh -huh. say, this exemplifies what everyone who disagrees with me things just like right. they can do that to us but you know that's that doesn't challenge us to grow it doesn't challenge us to think through why we hold the positions that we hold right and that and that to me is where where it there's that disagreement i think is actually a very productive thing like i think um i think disagreements force you to think more critically if you allow them to but it seems like right now a lot of society has has just kind of uh especially pursuing identity politics and just kind of throwing out <laughs> names at each other. And, and the conversation has devolved. And in my view, we need to elevate the conversation instead of escalating, instead of, instead of adding, 
you know, the heat to the fire, we need to to bring light. Uh, I think a, a recent politician's comments uh, brought brought some light to that comment. And I think that that's valuable to, to look at it from that perspective saying, you know, a disagreement that we have politically that that you and me have, like we can actually dialogue about that. And if I approach it with what you're talking about, curiosity and respect, I can actually learn from you. I can learn from your perspective, your vantage point. What are the values that you're coming from? And hopefully it, you know, you also have the opportunity then to influence that individual if if they are off base and you help them to think more critically too. Ultimately, that's that's what we're wanting to do at Teen Pact is equip these young people to do that. Now, I want to ask another question related to this. Um, it seems that uh, a lot of people feel morally obligated to vote for a particular candidate or a particular party. And like you're saying, look down on other people who vote for the other party or the other candidate. Um, could you kind of, you know, address how you know, just because someone votes for Joe Biden, that doesn't mean they're not a Christian. And if you vote for Trump, it doesn't mean that you've uh, that you've given up on all of your you know moral views and ethics and so forth. It seems like we need to you know tone down that rhetoric and and actually have a, a good dialogue. But have you seen that where where people kind of uh, pigeonhole you into well, if you voted this way or with this. Uh, particular candidate or issue, then you must be all of these other things. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, our brains are lazy. We like to make generalizations. That's like a, a human cognitive thing. It's not just, you know, a cultural tendency in Americans or anything like that. Um, I think, you know, we want to have leaders of good character. I think that that's a, a biblical and a, and a good thing to desire. Um, in absence of that, I think that it is, there's absolutely, it is healthy to look at our politics as transactional, to look at, you know, our, we shouldn't, look to, we don't have a king. We don't have a father of our country or anything like that. We are not supposed to have, I don't think as Americans, this deep emotional connection to hmm. our politicians. Um, and I'm not saying I've never worked for, or like, you know, volunteered for a candidate that I felt like I've really believed in. And sure. But, but I think that, I think that, uh, politicians and even the president, uh, that, that role in particular has become, um, idealized or idolized even um, to being this, uh, you know, kind of it, it kind of in a role that you would typically look for, you know, God to fill in your life. And you look to a politician to be this kind of, um, you know, this advocate for you, this representation of you, this. Hear um, about you personally. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, That that's fascinating. Yeah, well, and, and for thousands of years, we humans had that kind of government. You know, we had a strong man or a king that, that was like sort of tribally represented us. So it comes very naturally to us to want to. Yeah. Democracy is sort of the a representative, you know, democratic republic is. Right less natural way of organizing. So we have to work at it. We have to work to remind ourselves these guys work for us. And, you know, in the absence of the perfect candidate, then we will look for the one that can give us the most transactional benefits for what we think is not for our little tribe, but for what we think is best for the country. Mm. And we can disagree about that. You know, it, it's, there's totally room for honest disagreement, you know, um, you know, amongst Christians to, to, to come to different conclusions, especially given rather less than ideal options. 
Sure. And I wonder, even with that, how much fear might play into that, you know, with Mm -hmm. disagreement amongst Christians. And there's almost this fear of, am I going to be seen as, you know, a bad Christian if I think one way or a good Christian versus another? So I think that's that's something we need to. I mean, I've I've had that thought. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, for multiple elections now, I think I've. I've had that thought of how would I be viewed if I vote this way? How would I be viewed if I vote that way and so forth? Mm-hmm. So if we take that idea and and run with it as far as we know, like it's important to be involved and to vote and have these discussions. But like you're saying, you know, there's good principles to look in in a candidate and in policies and whatnot. But the Bible doesn't give us, you know, step by step in the 2020 election, you sure. shall vote for, <laughs> right. you know, and so on and so forth. How do we then approach conversations with people who might disagree? Is there practical language that we can use to help, you know, maybe set aside that fear and seek that truth and that knowledge um, and seek to learn from one another and and disagree in an appropriate manner. Right. Well, I think, you know, again, it's rather than the specific questions, I, well, I, to your point about language, I think not using language that's accusatory or, or or overtly sort of, you know, saying, well, how do you explain this? Or how do you justify that? I mean, you know, but rather just, okay, so, you know, what made you feel that way? Or how did you come to that conclusion from a genuine place of curiosity, if we mm-hmm. really want to know? I mean, to be honest, my sister and I are, you know, my sister's one of my best friends. There are some issues we don't talk about. About because we've been over it a hundred million times and you know there's no we both know what the other person thinks and it's just you know we've agreed to disagree on some stuff but and that doesn't mean that we can't have a meaningful relationship outside of those issues but right exactly you know but I think you know just in terms of if you know again if our if our goal is to learn first and to persuade second, you know, then I think that 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 usually does uh, take us to the right posture because people are willing to explain most of the time. They're willing to explain what they think if they think you really want to know. If they think you just want to listen so you can swat down their point, then, you know, those are less fun conversations to have usually. One of the final thoughts that we want to um, think about as we kind of come to a close with our interview, Julia, and thank you so much for joining us, is um, thinking about how, especially for believers, um, as we look at any election cycle, certainly there's there's the point that you made earlier about any given election is not the end. There's, there's another election in two years and four years and so forth. But there's also this idea that for us as believers – our ultimate hope is in heaven and and in the new kingdom that 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 will fully be established. And so, um, as you think about you know how we relate um, in this election cycle, and as you think about the listeners who could be on, maybe it's a student, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's another listener on the Teen Pack podcast. What's something that you would want to leave them with in terms of how to pursue this kind of uh, civil discourse and Uh, open conversation this election year? I would say that, first of all, that we need to, this is uh, something I got from um, Yuvalovin, we need to panic less and worry more, (laughs) which sounds like we're not supposed to worry at all, right? But that, um, that when we think about all of, you know, there, there's always a lot at stake, right? 
but we don't need to panic about it. You know, God really is in control. We all know that. Um, there's, we need to think about building things for the long term, the medium term, you know, not just the cycle. All of the communication that we're getting is from people who are financially, you know, just in the, whether it's ads or, you know, <laughs> online communications, all that is communicated by people who have the financial incentive to make us think that everything rides on this and mm, to get us mm-hmm. into a state of panic because that's how you mobilize people. Um, you know, is is by you, you're much more likely to get people to do something if you get them into that state of panic. But that state of panic is what makes us, you know, it it breaks up friendships. It it makes us behave in ways that we're ashamed of later, say things we regret. So if we can, you know, discipline ourselves not to panic. But have, you know, maybe not worry, that's not really biblical, but maybe some sensible concern and think in the short and medium term, then we won't have to maybe go through this every two to four years. We can just build on what we've been already working on, because as we know, you know, through Teen Fact and everything, a lot of it is the work you do between election cycles, not just at the ballot box. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. This has been a fascinating conversation. And thank you for joining us for the Teen Pact podcast. Thank you so much. It was a privilege to be here. Jessica, one of the things that you referenced earlier was that the Bible doesn't necessarily give us the answer about who we should vote for this election year. It seems to me that the Bible gives us a lot of biblical principles that we ought to be applying to how we vote or how we participate, how we talk with our friends and family about politics. Mm. But it, that's a wisdom thing. That requires applying the truth. It, it means thinking critically. But there is space, I think, biblically for disagreement. Some people are going to vote for a particular candidate. Some are going to vote for another. Some might vote third party. Um, I, I think that what Julia is talking about here is really important for us to establish this space where people can disagree. Now, it, it's not it's not that they, 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 they can choose to knowingly be ignorant. They do need to think critically about it. Um, but I think that it's incredibly valuable to, to be able to disagree uh, and to even agree to disagree at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to create that space, kind of like what you're talking about. I know, for example, I have certain family members that we disagree on certain political issues and what have you. And, and, I think for a long time, we were afraid to even approach that conversation because it's like, all right, well, suddenly one of us is right and one of us is wrong and and, and who's right and who's wrong. Sure. And that creates this this tension. And, you know, ultimately, like Julia said, relationships you, with your family, your friends, that that matters first. But it is still important to create that space for that disagreement. And so one thing that I've been working through with different people is like, okay, how can we disagree? And it ultimately comes down to, I think, seeking truth and knowledge and not yeah. being afraid um, to to see someone else's point of view. Yes. I, I think one, one aspect of that for me personally is I might be afraid <laughs> of discovering some aspect of what I'm saying sure. might not be as correct as I thought it was. So I think there's a certain element of fear, like we talked about briefly, that might come into play. But it's important to, again, create that space for disagreement and recognize, okay, 
it might not be as black and white as this is biblical and this is yes, unbiblical. Right. But we can have that healthy discussion. At the end of it, we might, in that seeking of truth and knowledge, realize that one of us, you know, might be persuaded to thinking a little bit differently. Or we might recognize that mm, we still disagree. And at the end of the day, that's okay because there's more important things. Yeah, for sure. I, I loved what Julia said about curiosity. Like if you approach a conversation with a desire to learn and to understand and a mm-hmm. genuine curiosity where uh, where you're not coming into it knowing that you're right uh, <laughs> necessarily, or maybe you do know that you're right, but you genuinely want to know why they come at it from a different perspective or how they've come to a different result. Like that kind of approach to a relationship and, and to political conversation, I think is transformational. So, mm-hmm. you know, this this election year, there's going to be plenty of our friends and family who will probably, uh, you know, do the very thing that we're talking about earlier with Julia, um, you know, to to kind of have this inflammatory, you know, Facebook post or to put up our, our view on Instagram and to say, like, if you disagree, then you're X, Y and Z and, and say all these really, you know, hurtful things. Mm-hmm. We need to be the ones. Um, we need to be the ones who are willing to ask questions, who approach conversations with humility. You know, I was thinking of what what kind of questions would be helpful. Julia mentioned a couple, you know, asking questions like, what do you mean by that? Or what are some sources that you go to for that information? Or mm-hmm. why did you why do you think that that that's true? And and honestly, if we ask questions, I think that actually, uh, that disarms the the really like hot emotional mm-hmm. response that we fear. I think for me, that's probably what I fear even more than you know discovering that that I'm going to maybe be wrong on something. It's that I'm afraid that somebody's going to be mean toward me. I'm afraid mm-hmm. that sure. that they're going to speak negatively about me or that mm-hmm. they're going to be more passionate than I am and mm-hmm. I can't keep up. And I and I want our listeners to know that. You know, we we should all be pursuing that kind of courage that counters that fear Mm -hmm. that says, you know what, they might not be the one like that, that friend or family member that you have in mind right now, they might not be the one to elevate the conversation, they might be escalating the negativity, but you have the opportunity. I have the opportunity to engage with questions and to pursue it out of humility and curiosity and genuinely wanting to learn and understand more and more. So I think as we come to the conclusion about this particular uh, topic, I think more than anything, we need to value the relationships that we have um, with our friends and family above political outcomes. Like if we have put politics on a pedestal to where I'm not even going to show up at Thanksgiving dinner because you voted for candidate X or candidate Y. There's there's something that we have done to politics and political candidates that's just not healthy. So ultimately, I, I, I love that. I love that we need to value relationships. And ultimately, that's going to allow us to continue to have these conversations, not just about politics, but other areas of life well into the future with each of our friends and family members. Thank you for joining us for this special edition of the Team Pact podcast focused on the 2020 election. Have any questions about today's episode? Send us an email at communications at teampact.com or you can visit our website for more information about our programs and state classes. 